0: Welcome, Boils and Ghouls, to another edition of Crypt Speakers, a Tales from the Crypt podcast. I'm your co-ghost, Jay Tyler, and with me as always is... Sessy
1: Oh man, I tried to roll my R and it didn't really You
0: really work. went for it that time. I was yeah. really
1: trying trying something different.
0: Yeah, well, you know what? I, I appreciate you really leaning into... Thank you. <laughs> apparently your new gimmick of not knowing how to say your own name. <laughs> Uh, and we're back with another uh, episode of horror and love and, uh, you know, scuzziness. So uh, shall we get to it? Do you have anything uh, before we get into this episode, Sessie? Let's do it. Let's do it. So this week's episode is The Thing from the Grave, which I would classify as a title that's kind of a spoiler. Um, but we'll get to what is The Thing from the Grave later this one comes to us from an old friend uh fred decker who you might remember as being the writer from one of our favorite episodes of tales from the crypt uh maybe maybe our favorite episode still i don't know we've had some good ones at the beginning of the season but was like our unanimous favorite episode from the first season all through the house uh was written by fred decker directed by robert zemeckis and this time around fred decker is doing both writing and directing duties.
1: And let's um, not forget, he also gave us uh, Only Sandeep, which I appreciated.
0: Only Sandeep? Oh, did he write that one? or He got he didn't direct that, but he wrote that one. He wrote that, yeah. Okay, I forgot that he wrote that one. Yes. So yes, he also wrote Only Sandeep. So he's done. He uh, By the end of this run, he ends up writing five episodes of Tales from the Crypt. So we're right in the middle yeah, of his... Yeah, uh,
1: he's very well-versed in yeah. the...
0: Uh, well, it, what what do we make, want
1: to call it? Is this the Tales from the Cryptiverse? The
0: Cryptiverse. The, <laughs> the yeah. I TFT mean, it's it's only you. one show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I I mean, he definitely gets the tone down uh, pretty well.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: And, I mean, and he comes from a horror background. You know, quick refresher on uh, Fred Decker. wrote Monster Squad with Shane Black. Shane Black goes on to become one of the like leading screenwriters of the late eighties, early nineties is like just one of the dudes. Uh, meanwhile, he writes, uh, Oh, I guess it was right before he wrote Night of the creeps. which is another fun horror movie. Uh, I'm looking at some of his other writing credits here. He wrote um, house two. We talked about that last time he wrote. Uh, and, and so he's on the rise. He does a lot of work on this show. Cause it's definitely like in his wheelhouse. Uh, and then he stops working on this show. His last screenplay credit on the show is 1992, and the next year he writes the screenplay and directs Robocop 3, and but then what? doesn't doesn't do anything for nearly a decade. His next his next writing credit is in 2002, or starting in 2001, he writes three episodes of Enterprise. So he's just completely off the map for. L- literally a decade like just kind of like after robocop 3 everyone's like you go to jail now you don't get to make any more movies. oh no write anything else
1: did he go um, to like um uh, did he go to horny jail
0: no he went to like movie jail oh like, no like, what did he, he do no he did not literally go to jail he just had to go away for a while he just had no to... no
1: i know but what did he do to go to movie jail it,
0: um, again, he made the film RoboCop Three. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you've you've heard or seen that film. Uh, it takes the you know film series RoboCop um, and decides to make it into a kids' movie, which is an interesting choice. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think RoboCop Three. I I I probably would prefer to watch RoboCop Three to RoboCop Two. Um, if I if I'm being actually honest here, I think.
1: Robocop three has that adorable little girl from the Pepsi commercials, right?
0: Yeah, yes. It, yeah.
1: It, yes. See, it's not well, that it, bad.
0: I mean, it's pretty bad, Sessie. <laughs> like it's a pretty bad movie. It doesn't have Peter Weller in it, which is a big strike against Oh it. yeah,
1: yeah, that is a big no no. It doesn't
0: it doesn't have those iconic lips just staring at you.
1: Can I um, just share my my awesome experience of watching Robocop?
0: I always love hearing people's awesome experiences. Yeah, I will also so, tell my experience watching RoboCop. What about with your <laughs> experience?
1: So the Draft House did a marathon of RoboCop. That was mm-hmm. backwards. RoboCop three, RoboCop two, and then RoboCop. Interesting. So in that way, the movies would progressively get better.
0: Yeah. And it was RoboCop the two, such a weird movie. Best.
1: It was the best way to watch RoboCop also saw it at the draft house here in austin texas
0: mm-hmm. what was
1: it best movie theater in america uh, a few years ago uh by entertainment weekly
0: sure um, yeah that sounds that have, sounds right
1: they have a balcony where if you pay i think it's like 40 bucks a pop you get to sit on a recliner uh which oh yeah is yeah really
0: great oh over, yeah, no, it is. Yeah, those, those are nice. The recliner seats are definitely a
1: which I guess it, you can go to other places that are just like the draft house that also have those fancy recliner seats and right. you don't have to pay $40. But I rather support local business and do it at the draft
0: house, sure. Uh, I, I support your supporting of the draft house. Um, I what I would give to go see a film in a theater <laughs> at this point, um, Soon. almost. Oh, very soon. I'm I'm just waiting for shot number two still and then I'm gonna be I mean now I'm um,
1: waiting for shot number two and then for you know things to t- two weeks, seem calm like down. they're safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My
0: my current goal and I haven't talked to you about this. My current goal is I'm gonna be doing a for, so for synapse, my uh film critic job, I'm gonna plug that here again. Um starting in April, which we're in now, so it's like late April I'm going to be doing a, uh, write, a retro a series retrospective on the Fast and Furious films, which you know are near and dear to my heart. Yes. My personal goal is if I can get into a press screening of um, F9, that will be like my like return to theaters. Like that. That that is my goal is to be able to feel comfortable and also have the bona fides to get in to see F9 at a press screening, um, and then I will feel whole again. Yeah. Um, but we'll we'll see if that happens um my story about so my first time i ever saw robocop i was a small child and should not have been watching robocop uh i and i just remember the scene where murphy gets shot to shit um and that's that's all that like i feel like if you're of a certain age and you see the film robocop you're like oh cool like the guy from the cartoon on saturday mornings and then you watch the show or watch the movie and you're like this is horrific like why are they keep shooting this man he's already dead. Uh, Stop! That so,
1: he's already dead.
0: Pretty much, like it's it's that times a thousand. uh So, like, and at that point in my like as a small child, I had been contemplating like maybe I could be a police officer, and then I saw RoboCop. I was like, no, I couldn't. Aww. Police officers get sh- get their legs shot off. Um. Anyway, fast forward. So I don't see RoboCop for years and years and years, and then I just at some point and when I'm in college. I hear someone saying like RoboCop's actually a really like thoughtful, like satire of like eighties politics. I'm like, no, it's not. It's about a man who gets his leg shut off and gets turned into a RoboCop. And so I'm like, shut up. Like th- th- this is all malarkey. And then like, I learn, you know, one of those trivia facts that one of the earliest criterion films was RoboCop. I'm like, what's going on that the world is like more morphing around me to like, make me think that RoboCop's actually a good movie. So what I discover is at my college, they have so robocop came out on a criterion collection on laser disc that's how early yeah. on in the process so i find out that my college library has the laser disc criterion robocop disc
1: and then you had to find somewhere where you can play laser well that you
0: could so so i had to find somewhere i could play the laser disc luckily they had a laser disc player at the library this is oh, wow. this is where this is all going so this is go, why you
1: support your local library,
0: folks. Yeah, well, this this was my school library, but yes, local libraries also cool. Draft House cool. Local libraries even cooler. <laughs> uh, so, um, I go to this the the library. I check out the disc. I put it in the disc player there, and I watch RoboCop. And you know what, Sassy? RoboCop's a great fucking movie. I love RoboCop. Absolutely. And like, here I am, a a a person with intelligence enough. To, like, see past the violence and see, like, oh, yeah, I, there's a weird uh, sort of, like, commentary going on throughout this thing. Like, there's there's definitely st- stuff going on here that's worth looking at. And so then I'm kind of looking at the special features, and there are two commentary tracks. There's a Paul Verhoeven commentary track.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and there's also a Neumeyer and Minor, the writer's commentary track. So they both have their own separate commentary tracks. So I proceed to watch RoboCop in the, li- because again, it's a Laserdisc. I have to watch it there. I proceed to watch RoboCop three times in a row at the school library. Cause I watch it without the commentary, watch it with both commentaries and then it's nighttime outside. So that was my day where I just watched RoboCop three times in a row.
1: Time well spent.
0: Yes. No. Yeah. Whew. Um. Now, you might be wondering, why are we spending so much time talking about RoboCop? Hey, shut up. It's a great movie. If you haven't (laughs) seen RoboCop in a while, go check it out. It's perfect. Um, But also, the star of this episode of Tales from the Crypt, The Thing from the Grave, a title which is a spoiler, is Miguel Ferrer, who you might know from RoboCop. He plays Morton, who is the... the guy who, like, basically... he He's the one who, like, sells them on the uh, uh, sells them on the RoboCop program. He's the guy who is working at OCP, and they're like, when the ED-209 project goes up, Morton's the one who introduces, like, like, hey, I got this other idea. What if we have combined all this technology with a human brain? And then you have, like, this, like, error-proof thing. So he's the guy who famously utters the line, you're one bad motherfucker. Um
1: i know and, him from twin
0: peaks right he is also in twin peaks he is he is uh miguel Ferrer is a, a, again one of those classic that very guy. prolific
1: actor very Absolutely. prolific actor
0: uh unfortunately passed away uh at the um age of 61 in 2017 um but like was in just a ton of stuff was last like big thing that he was in he actually like post-hominously like appeared in like uh the reboot of Twin Peaks. So I was glad he got Yeah, he was on the that. return, yeah. He was on the return. He also is the evil vice president in Iron Man 3, um, which, you know, is a Shane Black movie. So connections there for this episode. Fred Decker, best friends of Shane Black. And then he he is in a Shane Black movie later on. He is just, he's just a guy who oozes menace. I, I saw an interesting thing. I want to actually track these down. So he does the voice of Aquaman in the uh ted denny um uh superman animated television show but he's not brought back to do the voice of aquaman for justice league so i kind of want to track down those superman episodes and be like what did you do that like the people who then did justice League? they were like this is too hot we can't like <laughs> you can't do bring this energy to justice league sorry miguel frere uh, i love miguel Ferrer. i i i before we get into this episode, I need to preemptively say, I think he is a great, he's a great scumbag actor. Like not in that, like I think he is himself a scumbag or was a scumbag, but I think he plays jerks and assholes so brilliantly. Um, And I think this episode is no exception to that uh, rule. Uh, Also in this episode, speaking of Superman, man, I'm just full of great segues. We got Terry Hatcher in this episode. Pre-Lois Lane, way pre way uh, pre-Desperate Housewives, Terry Hatcher um, is the uh, female lead of this episode. Hold uh, on
1: just a second, though. What's that? Because I got curious and I was like, Ferrer. I wonder if that's short for Ferrera. Sure. And so I had to look it up.
0: Especially with Miguel as a first name.
1: Yeah, so I was like, because a lot of the times Hispanic actors will, like, change their names so that they're not as sure. um, Spanish-sounding so they can get better roles.
0: Yeah, there was uh, a big so story I was, about I was wondering was some if actors did that recently, I can't remember, who, who, who came out and, like, said, like, I hid my Hispanic heritage to Yes, it's
1: uh, my boy, James Roday, yes. me, Rodriguez, who is actually yeah. from San Antonio. He's a fellow San Antonian. Yeah. Uh, and I love him because Psych like, is the best. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so Miguel Ferrer, uh, it actually turns out it is Ferrer, uh,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but his dad uh, is a um, Puerto Rican actor named Jose okay. Ferrer. And his mom is Rosemary Clooney. Who, oh, yes. Yes. And that makes him uh, George Clooney's cousin. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I i i knew that and then i had forgotten oh man i'm just looking at his credits again he's the voice of shan shan yu and mulan which besides yes. that being a, being problematic casting mm-hmm. brilliant job like great voice actor like he's a great voice actor oh miguel ferrer's the fucking best like all right sorry <laughs> i just i was just looking up something so awesome.
1: we're talking about terry
0: terry hatcher who uh you know I you know, early um, uh, crush for young Jay Tyler and uh, the Adventures of Lois and Clark. Um, yep. j- just a, you know, she she is about to break big. Like this is sort of not quite to the degree of a Demi Moore, but like this is right before Terry Hatcher. like she appears in soap dish right after this. like she she has a great decade plus ahead of her after this episode. Um, but this is definitely where she like like this is like right before that's about to break. She apparently had a recurring role. <laughs> I found this funny. She had a role. She had a recurring role in MacGyver, where she plays a character named Penny Parker, who, as far as I can tell, shows up in one episode of every season of MacGyver. Like she was mm-hmm. like she was just a random character who'd show up in one episode uh, every season of Get it, the, girl. The television show. Ever. So yeah, she's doing a lot of TV work. And then, uh, like I said, she shows up in a Soap Dish uh, right after this episode comes out. She's in Tango and Cash before this. Like she she's definitely a known name, but it's not like a like she's not the headlining star of a, tel- of a you know, four season uh, television program. Uh, so yeah. Uh, and then the third guy in this episode I didn't recognize from anything.
1: <laughs> Uh, yeah, I did. Why did you recognize he, him from? Yes, uh, he plays uh, Caitlyn Snow's dad in The Flash, okay. Uh in The CW series. Uh, so he plays uh-huh. icicle. Um, right. He's the bad guy for a few episodes.
0: Yeah. He also was in an episode of American Horror Story: uh, Coven. So, yep. Yeah, a lot of TV work. You know, he does he does a fine job, but he's no Miguel Ferrer. I'll tell you that. <laughs>
1: but who is
0: but who is no one now no one's miguel ferrer now um but yeah let's uh let's let's do it so we open up with um the Crip speaker looking at a porno bag which is a great opening uh, or as he calls it one of his ghouly magazines uh that he's looking at before because he wants to give us a little hint for tonight's dead time and story
1: and we talk about that title though cuz it's
0: is it, it's play not, dead, man. right? You, yeah. yeah, you felt you felt like they they could have come up with something better. Uh, yeah. Like what? Like what? 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 What would you? What would your? My, your
1: I don't like, know. Play.
0: But but see, play ghoul would be the one that have dudes in it because remember, play like if you're looking at ladies, you're looking at play boy, but if you're looking at, at men, you're looking at play play girl. So which is fine. Hey, if if that's what uh, the crib speaker's into.
1: Yeah, don't. I shame. Keep calling him
0: the crypt speaker. He is not the crypt speaker. We are the crypt speaker. If the crypt keeper is looking into du- is looking mm-hmm. is into looking at dudes. Hey. I
1: just I just didn't like play dead to me. It kind of has a connotation of like a lot of the times. Uh, um, I I don't even want to go there. It's just sure. um, icky.
0: Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I see, I thought of it more of like dogs playing dead. But yes, I I can also see see your your interpretation there that it is it's it's a little it's a little it's a little gross i mean i think that they're just trying to it it's yeah
1: they're just trying to be funny but like if you if you think about it just a second it's like "Mm, gross no maybe maybe not
0: maybe not like maybe take like a slight other pass at it yeah yeah
1: um
0: uh anyway but no, no, that's fine um and then we get into our episode and we open up with um our i don't think i ever said actor kyle kyle um Sacker is the name of the actor. Sikor um, he And he's driving down the street. He's, he's got his glasses on looking real nerdy. Um, but he's looking like he's in a hurry. He's looking like he's got somewhere to be. He's um, and nerdy and
1: he, in a hurry.
0: He's nerdy and in a hurry. I, <laughs> coming this summer. <laughs> uh, it's geeks on bikes. I don't know. Um, so he finally gets to his destination, which is just this cabin in the woods. Um, but not the cabin in the woods um, where uh, Miguel Ferrer is waiting for him. And it's never a good sign when Miguel Ferrer is waiting for you somewhere. Um, and this guy in glasses wearing a gets trench out, coat. Wearing a trench coat, definitely not looking menacing as fuck. Uh, so uh, he gets um, his, the glasses, gets out of the car, and he's like, Is she okay? Miguel Ferrer's like, Hey, you know what? How about I answer your question by shooting you a bunch? Um, and so the guy tries to run away and he trips and he gets into this pre dug grave. And here's where Ferrer gives like a little speech about the Ten Commandments, basically saying like, Hey, you know, the Ten Commandments right? like, he says something about like, you know, your name's going to, you know, sorry about the quick job on the grave. You know, I, I figured you'd want your name carved in stone. You know, it was else carved in stone, the Ten Commandments. You remember those? Remember how you're not supposed to covet somebody else's wife to which glasses says, um, A, not your wife, which we'll get to later, what they're even talking about. This is very immediate, Reis. And he says, A, not your wife. And B, there's another commandment that you're not supposed to kill people, to which Miguel Ferrer has the great response, fuck it, and shoots him dead.
1: One thing, Uh, though, is that as soon as Glasses gets out of the car uh, and he says, hey, where is she? Uh, he shoots him on the shoulder. And right. he and says, he's, yeah, he's, is that, is that the shoulder she used to cry on? Or was right. it the other one? Boom. And then shoots no, him the other
0: shoulder. So he's actually
1: very punny.
0: He's very punny. He's very menacing. He's uh, got nothing but attitude. And it, and it is actually relevant to note that like, he keeps shooting him in non-fatal ways because the way he wants to actually killing him is basically burying him alive. So he buries him in this, this, shallow grave alive um like wounded enough that he's not gonna be able to get out like he's not gonna be able to dig his way out but he is um still alive when he buries him uh and that's how our episode opens strong opening I would argue like definitely like like what's going on what's up with these guys and he then we get up... say
1: though a really great line though when he's yeah. like burying him mm-hmm. uh and uh glasses says hey she's not your wife Um, But then he says, I want you to remember one thing. Remember, she's mine, not yours, but mine. And if those are not the lyrics to Brandy and Monica's hit from the late 90s, (laughs) the boy is mine.
0: Sure. You're saying that this is really like the boy is mine was probably uh, directly inspired by this episode of Tales from the Crypt. Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, that explains why they're dressed up like zombies in the music video yeah they're, they're, Wait, they're, not, what? they're not actually just, not actually just zombies. <laughs> sorry all right so he buries them alive and then we get a flashback as glasses is well alive and not in a grave somewhere and he's uh taking pictures for a photo shoot and we get terry hatcher here and i i'm not gonna be gross but she looks like a smoke show in this episode like she looks so good yeah uh, and and like i think that like i, I you know I, I'm not gonna dwell on it for t- terribly long, but I think it is I, I would not be honest with myself, if I didn't say she is looking great throughout this episode. And like she starts I mean, off honestly,
1: bit, my thoughts whenever it was like flashback, look at Terry, I was like, Yeah, yeah I would be
0: you yeah. know, <laughs> This is I, a woman worth like chasing after yeah? and getting shot at four, yeah no for sure she's beautiful she looks great she's in this like skin tight swimsuit like it's definitely one of those things where it's like you get it you get what's going on here now um she's part of this photo shoot so i wanted to ask you so um glasses is taking a picture of um this like weird photo shoot where it's like for like a beer or an energy drink or something it's and they have this like it's is it a beer and they have this guy like
1: I know those, I know those cans because I had an uncle who used to drink those, uh, they're this really cool, like silver can. It's a uh, Sapporo Japanese oh, beer. Oh, so it's, a,
0: it's actually a specific beer. Oh, okay. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That it's a very, the shape of the can is like very like, um, definitely like it's that beer. Uh,
0: well, and I guess that, that makes it, that makes a hundred percent sense because like, yeah, we're talking about like early nineties, like, you know, in America, like energy drinks are not like, especially like huge yet. So yeah. But yeah, like they're just doing this photo shoot. They're like all these girls are in like it's basically like he's doing like a James Bond thing. The this this yeah. The, there's a guy who's like dressed in tuxedo and there are all these women with harpoon guns and like skin tight outfits. And I wanted to ask you, there's sort of this weird moment where basically they're like, man, this guy, this the guy who's like the center of this photo shoot, super cheesy. But the Japanese love him, and they cut over to this like Japanese businessman, like right off to the side. So you know it's an early '90s story where people are terrified of the Japanese impact on the American economy. But this guy who they're doing the photo shoot around—did you, you get any vibes of like this guy, like specifically being anybody in like in your mind? Like, like no. did this guy give you any vibes of a particular no. actor? I couldn't figure out if it was supposed to be a take on somebody. And the closest I could get is, like, he's kind of acting like Tom Cruise. He's got kind of a weird, like, hey, like, you know, like, that weird, like, manic, happy Tom Cruise energy. But I also feel like people weren't really tapped into that being a weird thing until much after this episode. So, like, that's the only thing I can figure it's supposed to be. Because, like, they make this big deal about, like, this guy's so cheesy, but the Japanese love him. I'm like, I don't get what this reference is supposed to be other than... Like sort of yeah, cheesy know. actors being big, like it's that like like in Lost in Translation, like over the hill actors or people who are like slightly on the fringes, doing weird like Japanese photo shoots. Anyway, I just
1: thought he was a Hambo model that they liked.
0: Right? Yeah. So because he's he like,
1: glad.
0: hey, dude, what if I hold the beer with <laughs> right? Because <the glass laughs> yeah, this other whole was, what if I hold in my other hand and he's like in glasses, like all right, whatever, <laughs> like I don't care. Mm-hmm.
1: I um, have such good memories, and this is kind of messed up. But, like, I have such fond memories of Sapporo beer. Sure. Because, uh, like, I had an uncle that used to drink it when I was little. And it's not like I would drink it, too. I just really like the can. Like, being, like, like the, being
0: around it, like, brings up good memories.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, Now now that I'm older and I can drink it, like, I do like it. Uh, right. but it's just like, yeah, it evokes those like very early memories of like when I was little and we would be at
0: like barbecues so and stuff. So w- would you say like seeing it in this episode gave you like a warm feeling of familiarity?
1: Oh my God. It moment? made me want to go get some. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Advertising works.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This podcast um, is not brought to you by Sapporo, but you man, know, maybe one day. It,
0: but it could be, I'd love, I'd love yeah. to do some ad copy read for some beer, some burrs. Um, so as this is all going on, uh, Miguel Ferrer interrupts the photo shoot in the only way he can. And he basically goes up to Terry Hatcher and he's like talking to her and um, he's like smoking while all this is going on. And he's like just interrupting everything. Uh, and finally, uh, the ph- photographer glasses kind of inserts himself and he and he introduces himself to the photographer. Like he's just kind of like. I guess we should probably
1: the- clarify that like smoking. It's like it's like vaping but like sure
0: but like with, the pa- older with this, this version. paper version like and it like is, <laughs> is worse for you i think i don't like vaping's not good for you but i think smoking's worse like i don't know i'm i'm not as somebody who's never like smoked a cigarette in my life or vaped i, I can't tell you the science on that but yes that's what that's what kids used to do yeah uh before jewel was invented um they they would smoke cigarettes um so Ferrer introduces himself. His name is Mitch, and he's not only uh, Stacy Terry Hatcher's uh, manager; he's also her fiance. And the photographer Devlin's like, "That's cool. Hey, can you go away?" Uh, he basically says, why, "Why don't you go get also, some coffee or something?" What's up?
1: Um, he says. Uh, the photographer says something along the lines of, "Like, oh yeah, we don't want this to get hot and sweaty." And then Terry's like, maybe I like being hot and sweaty.
0: Right, she's definitely and giving him some vibes. Yeah, <laughs> like she
1: was... was totally flirting with him, yeah. and he was just trying to keep it profesh.
0: Yeah, so uh, so well, I mean, at, at first, let's let's not like, go overboard <laughs> yes, saying yes. that <laughs> the devil's keeping things especially as say, professional.
1: Yeah, she yeah. did kind of start it.
0: Sure. Uh, so they're talking and like. Devlin's like hey why don't you go get some coffee or something and Mitch flips out and all the way Miguel Ferrer he's, he's like uh, he basically like Devlin's like hey you're kind of interrupting things and, and Ferrer erupts and he's accusing he accuses the photographer of trying to hit on his lady and then he suggests that he shove the camera literally up his ass and then he still leaves anyway like he like has this little fit and then he's like whatever I'm gonna go
1: And once again, poor guy. He was just trying to do his job.
0: Yeah. He was just trying to get by. He was
1: 100% not flirting with her at
0: all. Not not yet. Uh, So then... Not yet, yeah. uh, Yeah, after that, he uh, finishes up the photo shoot, and then he... uh, The photographer, Devlin, like, approaches Stacy and says, hey, you know, your boyfriend seems like a lot, and I'm not saying anything's going on, like, any, like, Anything dangerous going on? But if it is, here's a key to my house, in case you know.
1: Also, things they just bad. met.
0: They just met, yeah. So this is what I was saying about. Like, he's professional up to a point, but I like there's definitely like some like nice guy energy going on here. But he's also like, hey, I've got a house. You know, why don't you come uh, stay with me Oh, yeah, this was
1: actually a really great line because he's like, hey, I have a house with, like, a fridge and a spare bedroom. And it's right. like, he's boy, like... you drive a hard bargain there. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, he, I guess he's like, it's got a spare bedroom, a TV, a fridge. Like, he clearly, like, it's just, like, and, like, even he knows, like, I, this is not, like. So, you like, know, like, a regular house? You know, like, houses are if they have an extra room. Uh... Mm-hmm. And so she takes his key and like, definitely is making big eyes at him. Um, uh, and then uh, we cut to um, Stacy, uh, the model going to his house, um, which then like, so she goes to his house and he, she's like, wearing a
1: super cute dress with super cute hat. Oh,
0: her, her like fashion is very 1990s, but also like very, like just very striking throughout this episode. Yeah. Um, love it. And, and so then he uh, <laughs> he does this thing where like she comes in and he's like approaching her to have the romantic moment, and then he kicks this uh, switch on the bottom, and then like the background that she had been ph- photographed against like pops up behind them, and they have this really cool like silhouette to give them like a shadow frame for while they're like having this romantic conversation about how she appreciates him and giving him her more space to go, and like how her- she needs to just get out of that relationship with Miguel Ferrer and like th- this is the moment where i'm like did they have the photo shoot at his house also like i was very confused I was like wait do you live where you work do you do you bring people i think
1: to- so i think it's probably that's why if you look at uh, the apartment again uh right. later on in the episode it's completely bare there's like nothing it's huge there. that's the other I thing think it's like, probably, i think probably probably because that's where he works
0: Right, so it's, like, a dual-purpose, like, living space and workspace. So, yeah. yeah. Like, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely one of those things where, like, it's like, oh, like, but, like, that's not really clear up until that moment where it's like, what is this background? Oh, that's the background she was photographed against. Oh, okay. Like, it's just, it's just a very, like, alarming out-of-nowhere moment. It's like, it's very stylish, but it's one of those things, like, this is a little silly, but that's all right. Um, speaking of silly, uh, they're having sort of, like, this conversation about, like, hey, you know, I'll take care of you. You know, you don't have to stay with that guy. And like, you know, they're, they're just being very vulnerable with each other. And then out of nowhere, he's like, hey, by the way, I've got this necklace for you. Yeah. Um, And I bought it. I wrote this down verbatim because uh, I wanted to to make sure I got this right. He got it from an old blind lady and is for the Mayan God of truth. So you can make a promise while holding it, no matter what you're uh, what you are doing you what, no matter what, you are going to keep that promise. Corny, isn't it? And it's where the episode, like, I think the episode's like kind of clicking along, and like, it's all of a sudden it's like, wait, we need to establish our stakes, we need to establish our like totem that's going to become in handy at the final moments. Uh, and like, while he's telling her all this, he like sees bruising on her collarbone, and so like, I feel like it kind of distracts you from it, but it is hilarious that he's like. We've been having this more or less like very normal story. It's like, oh, also, I just happen to have this magic, magic totem I bought from an old blind woman. Just a very funny, like, uh, yes, you know,
1: when you go on vacation, you go to the beach and then you buy an old magical totem from an old lady just for the time. If you happen to meet like the love of your life and you get to give it to them so that you can keep a promise forever, you know, those situations.
0: Right, you know, when you have a totem that is maybe the embodiment of the Mayan God of Truth, everyone's got one of those.
1: <laughs> I'm yeah. sure I'll give
0: you one of those at some point in your relationship.
1: And most uh, of the time, you know, you give those to someone that you literally just met like two hours ago.
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you be, you've been holding on to this for years and years, and you're like, oh, here's a pretty lady. Again, beautiful lady. But like, here's a pretty lady I met at work, who her boyfriend was kind of a dick to me. So I gave her a key to my house and this seems like the appropriate time to give this thing away. Uh, So yeah, like it's, it's a, it's a little sweaty, but I, whatever. Like it's tales from the crypt. I'm not going to hold that against it. Um, And so like, he gives her this necklace and then um, Stacy tells, tells Devlin, she's like me and Mitch are done. Like I I can't go back to him. And Devlin promises her to protect her no matter what happens. And, (laughs) And the camera shows like very like, clearly shows us he's holding the necklace as he's making this promise. Like, I don't the way his tone is. It's not like necessarily like he's like, oh, remember that thing I said earlier? I'm doing the thing now. I'm making a promise on the totem. Isn't that sweet of me? He just happens to be holding it while he says this to her because he's like kind of nonchalantly making a promise while holding the thing. Like, He's not like, like hey, I promise that I'm going to do this. But
1: and then anyway. she's holding it, too. And then she says, I wish we could switch places for one day. <laughs> and then they switch places. Yeah, and,
0: and and then it's just a freaky friday for the rest of the <laughs> episode. Yeah.
1: Um
0: uh so as so they have this very romantic moment of jewelry touching and uh they they uh you know, seal the deal by going to no pants town. But uh-oh, watching them from outside is old sneaky Miguel Ferrer in the car um watching them through some knocks. And he has in his car, just, what's in the car with Miguel Ferrer? A super
1: cute dog.
0: A super cute bull terrier uh, just hanging out in his passenger seat, which, hey, I get. Uh, And I was looking at this dog and I was like, that dog looks a lot like Spud McKenzie. And so, as is our... Spud McKenzie, let's let's go down the history of Spud McKenzie. So in 1987, Bud Light was looking to start a new uh, advertising campaign. And somebody at an ad executive that was working for Bud Light was like, I got an idea. Why have you just made a bunch of ads with a cute bull terrier in it? And we name him Spud McKenzie. And so that was the whole ad campaign was a, a cute dog hanging out with hot chicks drinking Bud Light. And this was a hugely successful ad campaign. (laughs) Uh, Oh my god, that's where that comes from. Yes, it's yeah. So like this has been parried on The Simpsons. It's like come up in a bunch of different stuff. Like Spuds McKenzie is is like one of those things where like the moment it happened, it's like irony incarnate. It's like everyone knows this is super dumb and like you know like cynical and like just like advertising becomes sentient. But people ate it up. Spuds McKenzie was a huge deal. So,
1: how could you forget Slurm's
0: McKenzie though? Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> the original party worm.
0: Yeah. So we, uh, so I have some, as is our our habit, when we're reminded of dogs who don't appear in episodes of Tales from the Crypt, I have some interesting facts about Spuds McKenzie. Would you like to hear yes, them?
1: Absolutely.
0: So the actual, so Spuds McKenzie is a very cool dog who hangs out with hot babes, but the actor, or should I say actress who played yeah. Spuds McKenzie uh, was a female bull terrier named honey tree evil eye, uh, who was short. Her short name was Evie. Um, and, Oh, was she a show dog? May, yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. Cause show dogs have to have unique names and that's why yeah, they all have like crazy, crazy names.
0: Name. Yeah. So she was honey tree evil eye. Uh, and you know, as much as like, it's, it's kind of become a joke now at the time Spuds McKenzie was a very controversial figure. Like there were like congressional hearings about Spuds McKenzie because (laughs) everyone, yes, because everyone was like, you have this ad campaign where the whole idea is that you have a cool dog hanging out with hot girls. This is clearly targeting children to buy your beer. And it's like. I guess like, like in the same way that like Joe Camel was sort of in this like crosshair of like, you're making drinking beer look cool. it's like, Mm -hmm. yes, we're an advertising agency. That's our job is to make drinking beer look cool. Um, But the sort of the, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back on all of that was there was an episode. That uh premiered in December, like in December of 1989. So the uh campaign started in 1987 uh, and ran until 1989. Uh and there was an ad that ran that had Spud mckenzie dressed up as Santa in one of the ads. A thing I learned while researching this, it is illegal to have a Santa Claus in a beer commercial because Santa Claus is seen as a as a figure that is specifically targeting mm-hmm. and advertising towards children. So if you have Santa in a beer commercial, like there are like actual like state laws in certain states like in Ohio specifically in this case where you can't have children's characters including Santa Claus in beer commercials. So that got them into some hot water and that and at that point that's when Bud Light was like this campaign's super dumb and we're just not going to do it anymore um so short-lived but infamously weird ad campaign for the bud light organization um and, but at some point they decided it's more of a headache than like having a cute dog mascot is especially worth uh evie uh unfortunately we lost to evie in 1993 uh, due to kidney failure because purebred dogs are not especially yeah. healthy um and R.I.P. to a a great one. Um, And Spuds McKenzie did end up making one more appearance in an ad in like 2017, I think. Uh, A different dog, obviously, but like it's a bull terrier. You can find another one with a spot on its eye. Uh, Made one more appearance in a commercial where they appear as a ghost, which seems a little macabre, in a Christmas Carol parody, which seems very cheeky of them to have another Christmas based spuds mckenzie ad after that's what got them in such hot water the first time so this has been your dog famous dog minute here on uh, dog corner yeah our pup corner um now we can get back to the rest of the episode uh so uh we cut to uh the apartment Gi- I I keep saying apartment. It's this giant like warehouse space that he lives in. It's like a loft, yeah. Yeah, it's like this weird like it's like it's like a studio if a studio was bigger than my house. Like it's a gigantic space, and he gets a call. And he has
1: no furniture.
0: He has no furniture because he's got to have all the space to make photo shoots. I guess. Yeah, very Spartan living. Uh, and and he gets a phone call, and it's Miguel Ferrer. He's like, hey. I know you, and uh, that you and Terry Hatcher are messing around, but that's not important now. Terry Hatcher's in trouble, and you got to go help her at this address. And he's like, "Oh, there's a lot. I'm processing right now." Also, he comes back
1: with like a big bag of groceries. Right. Um, Right. Right. Yes,
0: that 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 is important. He comes back with a big bag of groceries. Yes. And like with like the
1: requisite baguette in the grocery bag.
0: Sure, so so that you know it's real. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you can't go grocery shopping without buying a baguette. That's also illegal in Ohio. You can't have Santa and a beer commercial. You can't go grocery shopping unless you buy a big baguette to stick out of your uh, grocery bag. Um, And so he gets his call and he drives out to the cabin. And oops, we're back at the opening of the episode. Like we've looped around and now we're all caught up. Now we have all the context for what that opening was all about. Um, Miguel Ferrer lights up a cigarette. To celebrate murdering a man, um, again cigarettes, uh, proto vaping, for those who don't know. Um, and then Ferrer goes back home and he confronts ha- he confronts Terry Hatcher and he's like, "Hey, I I I know that uh, like, hey, have you been messing around with that photographer?" I can't remember. I, I have no, all my notes say here is that he, he confronts her about seeing him. But then lies about following her. It's like, he's like, I know about this, but I didn't, like, spy on you. So he's, like, trying to make her feel bad, but making himself look innocent. I think because he's like, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, like, I think he's, like, basically saying, like, I know you're you're sleeping with this other guy. But I didn't follow it because he's like, what, were you following me? He's like, no, why would I do that?
1: Um, and so this would be a great time to point out that, and I don't know if this is her house or his house. Oh but, yes. The, uh, the styling of this house cut, is incredible. Yeah. When we cut to this apartment, uh, the first thing we see is this neon sign of a heart. And yes. inside the heart is a photo of Terry Hatcher. Yes. But it's that's like hung up on the wall and right above, um right in front of that it's like these like jail bars for no reason and i guess <laughs> once again it's like i know writers i use subtext and they're all
0: cowards yes yeah no it's it's definitely like, it's like and i it's don't
1: like- know i don't know who has jail bars as home decor but apparently it's this guy and yeah. he decided to put them right in front of the big old picture of his girlfriend or ex-girlfriend right. whatever B- because he doesn't um, care about so the optics like, of
0: that yeah it's got to be his house because like no way is she yeah. gonna put like these giant pictures of herself up all over the place and then like be like and i'm in jail like i mean that's that's a real big britney spears and it's not know, it's, Instagram it, energy. to be
1: to be fair it's kind of a room divider but right. they 100% look like jail bars. Like they right. were well, the, they were chosen because they look like jail bars.
0: For sure. No, like that that is the that's that the like it's again not subtle at all. Um but yeah, like so we get the, we get that image. Like there's just neon all throughout this house. Like all the decor in this episode is crazy. <laughs> like it's just like who lives in spaces like this? Uh but um he kind of, like, apologizes I mean, to her for I mean, I don't know. Behavior. Do they
1: not have jail bars at the, um, at home or at the home decor store that you go to? Uh, I, when, I, when I,
0: when I, when I head over to the Home Depot, do I, do I go to the, the jail bar, uh, section of the store for, for my personal, uh, decorating? No, not so much. Um, so he gives a half-hearted apology. He says, like, I know I've been a bad guy. Um. Uh, but but he's like but but, hey think about this it's been x number of days since you've seen that guy and he hasn't called you If he really cared about you he would have reached out to you at this point of course he knows that he's he's dead but he's like saying like hey you know i get that like if you're done with me i get it you can to that guy but if he doesn't if he's not there for you
1: well and then he's also like well i mean he's a photographer he's like um working with beautiful girls all the time like right he was just trying to get his hands like yeah yeah
0: so yeah he's like he's probably ran away with some other girl and he's kind
1: of nagging her in that too because he's essentially saying like um he meets beautiful girls all the time like almost saying like you know maybe they're prettier than you or whatever so he's like 100% like
0: playing into her insecurities that she needs to stay with him Mm -hmm. yeah yeah no yeah he's definitely like trying to like play into her insecurities and like making her think that like if she like that that guy's not going to come back. She needs to stay with him because he's at least a sure thing. And he's like making all these promises to her. Um, But, but she still has some suspicions. Like she's not, she's not really quite buying what he's putting down. So she goes back to his house. Um, And that's where we see the uh, groceries that he had put on the, the counter, but never put up because he had rushed out of the house. The big baguette still there. There's, I think there's a, carton of melted ice cream like so she's like huh that's weird and he has a message on the machine and it's a recording of the whole conversation because when he had come to the house the phone machine has started to pick up phone machines for those who aren't familiar are like what we used to have before your cell phone would record messages for you it'd be on a separate (laughs) machine that would have a tape that you would have to erase uh the actual message from a tape physically yeah i had to have tapes in them like yeah so tapes are kind of like oh they're like i don't even know what like a modern equivalent of a tape would be like physical it's like a dvd i guess like physical media is that even a thing that kids care about anymore actually actually
1: it is a thing because there's like a big uh, movement recently to kind of go back to analog so that you can truly like unplug 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 from like sure. digital stuff so there's definitely like uh i have some uh, some friends who like have cassettes and stuff like that again yeah they can listen to that instead of like yeah. you know their their ipod or whatever their phone sure yeah
0: hipsters you mean that that's who you're talking about yeah yeah sure uh, uh so uh so uh, ha- uh, Terry Hatcher, uh, Stacy. I keep forgetting her name is Stacy. Stacy, because it's the most generic name you could. Get I just wrote Terry the, the entire
1: time. I'm not gonna lie yeah, just to
0: ter- you. Yeah, Terry. Uh, so she's listening to the message, and like she's like, "Holy shit, what happened here?" But she doesn't get to find out more, um, uh, because right there like is that's a why for error. he.
1: That's what she finds the grocery is like. Hmm. Someone who just came back home. And one thing that I thought was really interesting is that like, she picks up the ice cream. Right. And it's
0: melted. It's melted. That's, it's been.
1: that's how you know that shit went down, that somebody bought ice cream, did
0: it, in, put the it in the freezer. Yeah, you know, he was in a hurry to get out of there, he listens to this message. Miguel Ferrer's there because, of course, he's been stalking her the whole time. Knocks her out. Um, and then we uh, go back to the cabin. And she's, like, in this, like, like negligee, like, this, like, what I... <laughs>
1: because somehow he kidnapped her and found uh, the time to, like, put her in this really cute outfit. Okay. I,
0: I guess, like, or, like, is that, like, just what, is that, like, just her, like, day underwear? Is that just what she was wearing underneath her clothes? Like, I don't know what the implication is there. But, yeah, like, he undresses her, either puts her in or leaves her in her like, negligee teddy thing. And then he's like, she's tied to the bed, which is a big mood to begin with. And then he starts loading a gun uh, and then he has probably the creepiest line in this whole thing. He says, just because it's over doesn't mean we can't have a little fun first. So ick. All that. Also, riddle. why does he
1: have to kill her?
0: Uh, I mean, she knows that she probably like knows too much about him murdering Devlin, I think is, is the implication here that like she might turn evidence on him. I guess. I mean, why? It's why tenuous. Do, why do lovers ever kill each other in an episode of Tales from the Crypt episode, sassy It's because they've got to. They've got to. Their passions are running too hot. Um, And, you know, she didn't trust him, whatever. Uh, but yeah, like, I, that. that's my reading on it is that he's like, oh, you're going to screw me over. So you, now you've got to die, but I'm going to do gross things before that. Um, but before you do anything, a hand shoots out of the ground because we got, we got ourselves another Zomboid episode. Um, the turns out that thing that's coming from the crypt, it's Devlin. Devlin's the thing. Uh, so Devlin starts crawling his way out. And he's looking
1: really decomposed for someone that literally just died like two days. Yeah.
0: He's, he's looking real rotten both, uh, figuratively and literally like, yeah, he's, he's, he's he's a, like, we had the, um, a couple episodes ago, we had the, the zombie effects. And these are not quite that gnarly, but he's still pretty gross looking. The effects here are pretty pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, he crawls out of the, his grave. Uh, there's, um, and this is like, Frere like just straight up confesses to Hatcher that he killed. Like at this point, he's like, ah, you, you're probably going to put this together anyway. So I'm just going to villain monologue here. Um, and then there's a sound outside. Ferrer goes to check and he finds zombie Devlin shoots him which always cracks me up when someone shoots a zombie because I'm like they're already dead like I don't know what you're I, I get that if you have a gun in your hand you're probably going to shoot that's going to be your first response like just reflexively but come on man you're not going to kill this zombie Uh. anyway so that happens Um. so he, he runs off and what happens when you run away from a zombie an episode of Tells from the crypt is that he had hoisted by your own petard. He runs back into the grave that he had dug for Devlin, uh, and then this is, I thought, an actually kind of gnarly moment. Is like basically Devlin comes back up, and he like has the shovel that he had used to dig his grave. And he hits uh, Mitch with the shovel and like cuts his fingers off. Which I was like, oh man, like definitely like was not a yeah. level of, of uh, gore I was expecting in this episode. Like, or you have like the zombie effects like this definitely is one of those things that shoots this up above the uh, would have to be on HBO level, mm-hmm. especially in 1990 uh, television. So he goes to this grave, he gets the shovel, knocks his fingers off. And then like, is like using one of his fingers writes on the great on the gravestone. Uh, what, what does he write? He writes, um, She's mine. And then at that point starts dig- burying himself and Mitch back into the grave. Uh, at, at some point, Terry Hatcher has freed himself and is like putting on, put on pants and jacket to uh, run outside to see as Devlin is burying himself with Ferrer into the dirt. Uh, all because he made the promise, and so he promised mm-hmm. to protect her, and he continued to do that even after death. Uh, so some fairly strong thematic ties till death to the the episode till death, um, but slightly more romantic, I guess. I don't know, Sessie, What did you think of the episode, The Thing from the Grave, Thing from the Grave, Thing from the Crypt? Yeah, thing the, the thing so, from the grave.
1: I do. I do want to give a shout out to the. Uh, little, uh, Crypt Keeper. Oh, yes, I saw it. I uh, forgot about
0: the Crypt Keeper outro.
1: Yeah, he says, I guess this is a boy meets school, except this time the boy was the ghoul. Ha 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 ha. Oh, no, Stacy has no boyfriends now. Oh, well, I'm sure she'll dig one up somewhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Those are some pretty, pretty good lines. Yeah. Um, so what I think about this episode, uh, actually uh it's gonna sound really pretentious, but I came across a meme on Tumblr of all places. Okay, sure. Uh that You're, was your go-to the source for memes. Yeah, um this is about the Twilight Zone. Uh it says probably said this before but I love the Twilight Zone episodes with no quantifiable moral at the end they just wrap up like wouldn't it be fucked up if that happened <laughs> uh, and then it has, it has a picture of Rod Sterling and it says god damn you see that shit that was fucking crazy <laughs> anyway I'm Rod Sterling. <laughs> and um, I feel like I feel like some episodes of Tales from the Crypt is very much like to see that's fucked up shit yeah Yeah. isn't that isn't that weird okay well thanks bye Uh, and i personally don't i think when twilight zone does episodes that like wasn't that fucked up it's different than when Tales from the crypt does episodes. It's like, wasn't that fucked
0: up? Sure, I think uh, I think, I think the, if I can interject real quick, because I, I, I do want to address that. Because I think that the difference is that the, the other episodes of Twilight Zone where they're not doing that are so high minded and are so like intentional and like like they're not necessarily like subtle, but they're like they're driving at some larger social commentary. Generally mm-hmm. speaking. Or yes. or some like observation or something. There's something going on.
1: Whereas in tales uh, from the crypt it's just like, isn't this fucked up? Yeah, it is. Okay, bye.
0: That's kind of every episode. Yeah, like there's <laughs> like there's some episodes where there's like slight social commentary, but they're mainly there to like shock you, which yeah. is inherent to like the source material that they're pulling from. But I but it but it definitely is like one of those things where like I think the way we're watching this at the show, um, where we're we're just kind of like mainlining it to a certain degree it definitely, like, you You get to a certain point where you're like, yeah, that is messed up. What else you got for me at this point?
1: Yeah, and so from that perspective, for me, this was just a stinker, because it was like, mm. okay, yeah, some, some zombie gets, you know, pulls himself out from the grave and then buries the guy who killed him alive. Okay. Sure. For yeah. the girl that he just met, like, three days ago. Right. And I think that's another thing that's like I like um you can really see that Fred Decker is really good at keeping up the pace. Because yes. this episode this is a really this is a really
0: well paced episode. Yeah. No, it's and it's it has no real waste like it has no like chaff or like you don't yeah, like when it's over you're like, Okay that that was a efficient bit of storytelling. I'm like I think that that's that been true about all his episodes so far. Like that yeah, like he he has a sense of pacing for a 30-minute horror short that I think is fairly unmatched by the other writers Yeah, the show. And
1: so this episode does a good job of moving forward. But I think that the problem is that it moves too fast because um essentially this this whole story kind of spans a week at most. And it's mm-hmm. really hard to believe again that this guy meets Terry and then Gives her a key and she immediately moves in with him. And then he's like, "Here's this like really thoughtful gift that you would give to someone after you've been together for like I don't know a while maybe, uh, sure. but I'm gonna give it to you even though I just moved in. Like it's just it moves too fast for it to have any real emotional impact. Yeah, and I think that's the problem. And it's like, look, I get it that it's gonna be really difficult to build a you know a story." uh in 23 minutes or less um like I get that's gonna be a challenge but it just uh it's uh it's just difficult to like really it be believable and like for it to have like the emotional impact that I think they hope for
0: yeah um I think I, I'm gonna go on the record and say I think those are all there's nothing believable about this episode. Like I said, there's, <laughs> I was just saying about how well paced and like plotted these, the, the um, Decker episodes are. Um, this does have the clunkiest moment of any of his three episodes so far where he definitely, where it just like comes to a screeching halt being like, Hey, I have to explain this necklace real quick, but like, don't like we'll, we'll get right off that as fast as we can. <laughs> but I just need to explain how this totem works before we go on. Okay. Now we can keep going with the story. Um, so that, that, is, that is a funny moment in this episode, as far as, like, a plotting and scripting uh, bit goes. Um, but yes, like, there's nothing believable about this episode. There's nothing believable about this story. Um, but that's And also, it's a
1: shame. It's a shame because the episode looks good.
0: Yes. The actors it's are very terrific stylish. in it. Yeah. yeah. I think that, for me, all that stuff kind of puts it over the bar. Like, I think... I wouldn't say I love this episode or anything, but I think that there's just so much that I like it about it. Like, I think all, I think all three of the main actors actually do a really good job. Like,
1: yeah,
0: I think that they they all like play like as, as, uh, unbelievable as a concept it is. You believe, you believe they are in on the stakes of the episode itself. And like, they're playing these sort of prototypical versions of these characters. Fairly, you know, straightforward, fairly, um, uh believably to the to the degree that like a premise like this can like it's extremely melodramatic i mean it goes back to like our our last episode we talked about like uh wrestling storytelling like wrestling has this benefit of like having like week on week on week that you can build stories out slowly this has like 30 minutes to kind of get you through what's going on here yeah and and like it just like you have to pack in like this person meeting each other. Like, like there are ways that you could extend that out, but that's going to be a longer film than you have for this particular project. And, and and I just love, I love Ferrer in this episode. I think Terry Hatcher is really good in this. I think um, Kyle Sikor is, is, is pretty good. Like, I think like he, he probably has the, the least meat to, to really work with, but I think that all three of them, like they, they are locked in it looks great. There's some weird set design. Like, uh, the, uh, um, Mitch's apartment or his, his living space is weirdly designed, but also Mitch is kind of a weird obsessive dude. So I kind of get it like, but whatever. Yeah. I think this is a keeper for me. Like I, I keep trying to like, uh, justify it to myself to a bit, but it comes down to, I like the way the episode looks. I like how it's acted. I think it's plotted well and like all that stuff. And maybe it's because the last episode such, left such a bad taste in my mouth that like the scuzziness and creepiness of this episode never like gets to the level where I'm just like, I I can't, I can't deal with how um, malicious this is being. Like Miguel Ferrer is a bad dude in this episode, but he's playing it to the tilt. Like he's playing it big and he's playing like,
1: yeah, you're never this-
0: supposed like this has a likable hero in it, which I think is like a thing that we've talked about a lot of these episodes. Yeah. not having like you have, yeah. you have stakes that you're rooting for in this episode that you don't. I think
1: tonally, totally, this is a little bit more cheeky.
0: Yes, yeah, it's 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 having more fun than just being like, like you were saying like the like did you see that fucked up shit like this one's like slightly less cynical and yeah more cheeky and more fun and more uh, romantic in a way. So yeah. And I, and I appreciate that after a couple episodes that are real dire. <laughs> um, so yeah. Great. All right. Well, do you uh, have
1: a casting the crypt?
0: I do actually have a casting a crypt for this one. Um, my, <laughs> I, uh, feel a little bad, um, going here, uh, but like for, um, Miguel Ferrer's character. the 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 person i see in my mind of like doing this kind of work these days is um will arnett i think would be really good in that role of just like scummy and kind of just like filled with all this false bravado and then when he's too
1: likable for me
0: oh really i mean i i I think he can play pretty scummy but Yeah. yeah sure i mean different people are gonna have different levels of uh taste for that uh i think for um the Photographer to, for Devlin. I, um, this is just because I'm a fan of um, his work on the podcast, blank check. But I think, um, oh, Miguel Ferrer, also in the film, blank check, worth mentioning there. But on the podcast, blank check, there's an uh, actor, uh, Griffin Newman, who I really like. He's you know, he was um, Arthur on the Amazon, the tick. He's and he, I think he would play the Devlin character in this really well of this like guy who's just trying to do the right thing for you know, for a hot lady, but like just like has like completely romantic intention and in, in the situation. Uh, and then just gets bulldozed over in the situation. Uh, I don't have one for the Terry Hatcher role. Cause I'm the worst at casting women and things. Just did you Terry have any? Hatcher. Yeah. Just Terry um, Hatcher again.
1: I did. So in the last episode, um I tried to do the casting using nothing but pro wrestlers. Sure. Uh, and this time I thought, uh, let's do the casting using only uh stars from CW shows.
0: I appreciate you giving yourself these parameters and challenges to <laughs> fulfill the needs. But yes, go ahead.
1: Sure. Uh, so I thought for Devlin, uh, I think Grant Gustin would be great, just because he's uh, mm-hmm. very likable and again type of character that wants to do the right thing um kind of fits that bill of like lovable nerdy but cute uh and then for stacy uh camilla mendes from riverdale she plays veronica um kind of has a terry hatcher vibe uh going on and then for uh what's his name mitch yeah, uh, I would go with uh, Paul uh, Blackthorne, uh, who is uh, Detective Lance in Arrow.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I you didn't...
1: may you may know him better as uh, Harry Dresden from the
0: Dresden Files TV show. Sure, I Maybe. I kind of forgot they made I forgot they made a Dresden yeah. Files TV show. Did that that did that? How long did that last? Anyway. Like I think just
1: one season.
0: Okay. Well, they can't all be winners.
1: Yeah. But yeah, that's, uh, that's the cast only, uh, using only CW stars.
0: I love it. All right. Well, uh, with that out of the way, uh, did you have anything else you want to say before we wrap things up? No,
1: I'm good.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, listening to this episode. If you liked it, tell your friends about it. You know, subscribe, uh, get the word out, give us five stars wherever you can give us five stars, which I think is just Apple Podcasts. If you want to reach out to us, we're on Twitter at Creep Speakers. I am also on Twitter at Jay the Cake Thief. Cessie, where can folks find you online?
1: I'm at Cessie Dev. All
0: right, we also have a great website at our uh, CreepSpeakers.com. You can reach out to us on email at CreepSpeakers at gmail.com for any uh, crypt-related questions or queries or corrections. Um, and I wanna thank Molly Fancher for our intro and outro music, Mr. N. You can find them on Bandcamp, throw them some of your bucks, and uh again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time, kiddies!